that that's dangerous. That could that could turn out really bad. Drop it. Duncan and both come correct. Part one. If you're in the mood to feel bad about people. Welcome back, everyone, to Duncan and Bo Come Correct, in which uh, your faithful heroes do battle cinematically by proposing films to one another in a steel cage match of film. Um, <laughs> this week should be really interesting. Uh, yeah. I, I'm very excited to talk about the movies we have on the plate today. But before we do that, we always like to check in and uh, see if there is a movie and or two that uh that kind of fired us up over the uh the course of the two weeks between recordings uh duncan yes you said you have watched a movie that i kind of sort of recommended to you yes you you said to me um, i think it may have been on one of these recordings actually you said to me just off the cuff you were like i checked out this film dead shadows it's french it's got a kind of lovecraft influence i don't think it's necessarily a good film but I think you should check it out. So, I was like, that ah, Bo's recommended it, then I need to check this movie out. So, uh, I managed to acquire a copy of it um, and watched it last week um, and sat down and I can totally see where you're coming from. I appreciate the fact that it's very short, um, but like you'd said, I think they could have probably tagged another 10 minutes into that somewhere. <laughs> I just kind of felt like it finished and I was like, no, 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 that ending happened far too quick. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. That 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 end sequence. Um, well, we can kind of spoil things on here, but I don't want to spoil it too much. The the kind of Lovecraft end sequence in Paris is absolutely delightful. <laughs> I did kind of feel myself clapping a wee bit um, when tentacles started pulling down everything. Um, yeah, I quite liked it. It was quirky. It's not what I. Um, I think there's a particular sense of humour in it, which is very French, which. Sometimes I thought, you know, this is pretty funny because you're kind of following uh, essentially a, a kind of loser. This kind of premise that we're we're faced with quite a lot in horror movies. The kind of loser guy who somehow ends up embroiled in the middle of something where he has to kind of step up to the challenge. I thought the effects were actually pretty good for for such a small movie. Yeah. Um, at times, some of the CGI was a wee bit, uh, but for the most part, like especially the space sequences, the comet sequences were really cool. Um, and I, I, I appreciate some of the, the actual effects in the movie. Um, the acting's okay for what it is, and it's actually pretty enjoyable. Like you said, it's not, an, it's not a masterpiece. It's not one of these films that when we mention French cinema five years from now is going to be at the top of that list. But if you like things, if you like... Uh, if you've grown up watching movies which are a wee bit quirky, have a particular sense of humour about it, you like things with tentacles, um, then this is a movie that you might want to check out, especially if you like French cinema. Um, I, it, was, it, was actually, it was actually not too bad at all. Yeah, and it's more Lovecraftian, even though I never saw Lovecraft mentioned in the description of the movie anywhere. Mm-hmm. But I, I think it's more Lovecraftian than most films based on Lovecraft are. Definitely. Yeah, yeah. I would agree with that. And there is a, a kind of a spider lady thing in oh, it that yeah. is really creepy. Yeah, but amazing rack. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm, I'm glad you enjoyed that. Anything else uh, that you checked out worth note? Um, yeah, and we did Graveshift last night, and I mentioned this on Graveshift um that in fact I'll briefly touch on this. We're about to record after this um for the podcast under the stairs anniversary show. Um and you can mention a bit more about this, but um we're gonna be discussing Cold in July, which is a new Jim Mickle movie which I think is wonderful. Yeah. Uh, but that's not what I want to talk about in my small segment here. Uh, what I want to talk about is a a kinda 
horror documentary, but it's not really horror, but it's kind of... Um, there was a documentary a couple of years called Cropsey. Mm-hmm. It was done by two filmmakers from Staten Island, and it dealt with a kind of urban legend of an escaped mental patient who is kind of actually based in fact, really, the kind of real-life case of uh, escaped mental patient, or not even necessarily escaped mental patient, but guy who was working in the facilities of an abandoned mental asylum um, who was abducting kids allegedly um, and they look into this and it was it was quite a fascinating documentary well they followed that up this year with Killer Legends and Killer Legends is basically them taking it out with Staten Island and New York to the wider America and basically what they do is they travel around the USA looking at urban legends and trying to trace them back to some sort of real crime event which has basically got into the public psyche, which has created this urban legend. So they cover things like um, the the razor blades and the candy, uh, which is a thing in America, apparently, uh, or wasn't really, but was. Um, But it's quite fascinating when you track back to see how much fact was involved with that case, because that essentially changed how Americans do trick-or-treating. Because, like, Jamie Jenkins once told me that, you know, candy's now wrapped now. It's not just like out of packing in there because, you know, there was something suspect about that. The other one they touched on was The Town That Dreaded Sundown, which is quite a fascinating case anyway, which became a horror movie, which is about to be released again as a horror movie. So they look into that case as well. It's not... They're not really doing anything which other documentaries haven't done, but I quite like their style of documentary making. I quite like how they put it. It kind of feels like you're watching a film, but at the same time, it's, you know, it's a documentary. So that's that's one that I would recommend. If you're interested in that sort of thing, serial killers, urban legends, that sort of stuff, check out Killer Legends. Is that on Netflix? Or do- um, I got a screener of it. Oh, okay, okay. Uh, it, did, it's done, it did the festival circuit. I would imagine if it hasn't got a release date, it'll be imminent because Cropsey was... Cropsey came out pretty quick on VOD over in the UK. Um, so I would imagine that... It shouldn't be that far away. Okay, I'll I'll check it out. I've I've been haunting the Amazon uh, video recently, uh, which is where I saw where, which I'm not going to go into. Uh, yeah, <laughs> but yeah, I've I've really found myself uh, using a lot of the digital BOD services of late. And yes, so I'll check that out. That uh, that does sound really interesting and and kind of up my alley. Yeah, definitely. What about yourself? What have you been checking out then while you've been scrolling through Amazon's digital library? Uh, well, I, I actually want to pair two movies here. Mm-hmm. Um, one is Cold in July, which I know we'll we'll talk about in detail later. But oh yeah, I I just want to say that as far as this kind of southern neo noir film goes, it mm-hmm. reminded me a lot of Blood Simple, the Coen Brothers' oh, yeah, first film. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And in a lot of ways, even the the score uh, reminded me of that quite a bit. But I, I want to mention that at in the same breath as a movie called Blue Ruin. Oh, yes, Blue Ruin, so fucking good. Yeah, and I think the two films are kind of tonally similar. Mm-hmm. And if you're, if you're in the mood to kind of feel bad about people <laughs> and what they're capable of, I would recommend that as a double feature. Um, yeah, I, I thought Blue Ruin is that that's one of those movies that when I watched it, I didn't feel the impact of the movie until after it was over. Yeah. And and since then, I've thought about it quite a bit. And mm-hmm. I think it's got a really, really interesting central character who is a, a, a homeless man 
who has been uh, a little off his nut since the murder of his parents. <laughs> In a weird way, like if Cold in July and You Can Count on Me had a baby, it might be Blue Ruin. <laughs> it might be Blue Ruin, yeah. Uh, but yeah, it, and and so when the uh, the murderer of his parents is is released on parole, he decides to take vengeance, which leads to just this weird escalation of violence. But it's not it, it's not a bloodbath or anything, although it it is quite gory at times, but. Um, I really enjoy that movie and, and wanted to recommend that to, uh, to people who enjoy a little bit of a subtle film, even though it can be quite gratuitous in moments, mm -hmm. but I really, really enjoyed that. And, um, and also I, I mentioned on the show, uh, last episode that I was going to go see guardians of the galaxy. And I, I do want to report back and say that movie was a shitload of fun. Um, awesome. in fact, I think that's what's going to end up on the back of the box. You know, yeah, <laughs> a shitload of fun. Um, Bo Ransdell, Duncan and Bo come correct. Yes, yes. <laughs> we'll get our, our first blurb with profanity, which seems appropriate. But uh, yeah, so that that's what I watched. I, I kind of want to keep this segment short because I don't want to shortchange either of the movies we're talking about. Um, when we When we come back... Uh, it is your turn, sir, to address a film I recommended to you, mm -hmm. uh, which is Kenneth Lonergan's You Can Count on Me from the year 2000. So uh, what do you say? You want to get into this? Oh, yeah, we need to. Let's do it. All right. We'll be right back. Part two. Sparse on plot, but full on substance. Okay. Welcome back, everyone. So my recommendation to Duncan this week is... Uh, an interesting pick for me because it's a movie that I really loved when I saw it. And then going back and revisiting it for this, uh, this podcast, I, I found out I loved it even more than I thought. It, the movie is You Can Count on Me. It's directed and written by Kenneth Lonergan, uh, stars Laura Lenny, Matthew Broderick, Mark Ruffalo. Uh, the synopsis reads as follows. A single mother's life is thrown into turmoil after her struggling, rarely seen younger brother returns to town. And that's really all the plot. <laughs> this is not yeah. a plot-heavy movie by any stretch. So mm -hmm. uh, I ask curiously, Duncan, what did you make of You Can Count On Me? Well, yeah, you've kind of hit the nail on the head here that both these movies that we're going to be talking about today are very sparse on plot, but full on substance. Um, and, you know, I, 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 I'll just put this right out right at the beginning. I really enjoyed this movie. Um, I mean, we, me and you are kind of more known in podcasting circles as the kind of guys that watch quite violent, quite gritty films. And some of that's come through. Sure. Um, and some of our recommendations, but we have talked about Death Race 2000. Yes. <laughs> but. We both love cinema, so yeah, you can occasionally find me checking out a drama, a comedy, um, maybe even a rom-com, but that's a push. Uh, but yeah, this movie, um, I had never heard of it before, and then you, when suggesting it to me, had mentioned Mark Ruffalo, and I am a big Mark Ruffalo fan, I think he's an excellent actor, um, and, and one that I would generally check out films just on his name being attached right from the start. Uh, Matthew Broderick, I, I follow his 
career inconsistently. Uh, sometimes I think he's great, but I can never really forgive him for being in Godzilla. Sorry. Um, <laughs> yep, sorry about that. Um, and Laura Linney, who I think is an excellent actress as well. Um, I, I don't see many films with her either, but I tend to find that when she's in a movie, I notice that her performances stand out. Uh, so yeah, so I sat down to watch this film, and it is as simple as you see. Basically, the, the very simple pro kind of synopsis of this movie is that when the parents of two kids die you know we then jump forward and kind of see where their life has kind of turned out you know how, how they want you've got laura linney as a single mother um she is mother to one of the culkins <laughs> yeah rory culkin yeah his first movie yeah yeah and um so she works at a bank which is recently, the management has recently changed hands. Matthew Broderick is the new um, kind of manager of that bank and a completely delightfully anal role, um, yeah. which yeah, which I thought was fantastic. You know, it's the sort of guy that, you know, has an idea of what he wants for this small town bank, forgetting that it is a small town bank. Um, I think he thinks he might be working on Wall Street with his attitudes and wants everything to be uniform and he likes paperwork and all the rest. Uh, Mark Ruffalo is uh, Laura Linney's brother who has been away for a little while. He's kind of left he left their, their hometown and has done a bit of travelling. Uh, Laura Linney has not heard from him in about six months and we see him... Uh, kind of have an altercation with his girlfriend to do with money and he's going away to visit his sister um, ultimately to get money. So he returns to his hometown. We find out that he's done a small stint in prison um, for a, a, an argument that got slightly out of hand. And basically, Laurel and his character persuades Mark Ruffalo to stick around because she needs someone really to pick up her kid because this is causing issues at the bank from school, etc. And um, it's really kind of Mark Ruffalo trying to assimilate back into small town life whilst at the same time looking at his sister who has changed dramatically from when they were kids. She was a bit of a hellraiser and she's now very much a, a goody two-shoes from the outside um, behind closed doors. Not so much. Uh, I'm looking at you, um, affair with married boss Ma <laughs> yeah. Matthew Broderick. Um, yeah, so she, you know, she, she's, she's, she's got that kind of a bit of a wild streak, which is still, still running through her. Um, and it, it basically, I mean, from a synopsis point of view, that's really about it. Where the movie shines, I think, is in the, the acting. The actual acting is of such a very high standard in this movie all the way right throughout. Um, you really do get this kind of feeling that Mark Ruffalo doesn't feel that he belongs where he is. And on some level there, he keeps fucking up. And I don't necessarily think it's his fault. I just don't think he thinks through the consequences of all his actions. Um, and when he does, he is almost like a petulant teenager. Um, there's a particular scene where he takes uh, the Rory Culkin character out to late night pool um, and they, they basically pull shock a group of folk, win the money, but they're spotted by the local uh, de uh, detective or deputy or whatever. And um, 
But you know, they rush back, they come away with some cockamamie story to do with star watching or stargazing to kind of pacify Laura Linney's character. Um, she then finds out the following day from the police officer that they were at a bar. So when she confronts Mark Ruffalo about it, who has already had a sit-down conversation with Rory Culkin's character and said, don't snitch about me on this because, you know, we'll get in a lot of trouble and all the rest. He automatically thinks um, Rory Culkin has kind of grasped him out. And he does kind of come across as a bit of a teenager in a later conversation with Laura Linney where he's like, you know, your son grasped on me and you know, it's not even a big deal and all the rest. And you're thinking, you're a man, sir. You're a grown man. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah um, and then, you know, he struggles to believe when she first says, no, it was the deputy that told me. It's like he didn't think it would be like that. I thought genuinely, and it shows a certain degree of mistrust that he has in people in general um, as a character. Um, the story in a whole kind of really focuses primarily on Mark Ruffalo trying to trying to fit back into a life he doesn't want. His sister's very much of a, maybe if you find God again, things will be better for you. Even so far as kind of setting up some weird, uncomfortable intervention with a local priest, which which was an interesting scene. Um, but ultimately, Mark Ruffalo fucks up. And um, he fucks up because Rory Culkin has asked questions about his estranged father, uh, Mark Ruffalo knows who it is, and when they're on a fishing trip, takes him out to meet the dad, who is a complete loser, who lives in a trailer park, who does not want any contact with his son. Now, on some level, Mark Ruffalo is incredibly naive not to think that something like this would kick off. I don't understand what he really wanted to do, other than he's almost trying to toughen up the boy, because the boy doesn't have a father figure. But when things take a shitty turn and there's a fight, Ruffalo gets locked up in prison, very briefly, until uh, the charges are dropped and Laura Linney realises that, you know, he's a disruptive force that she can't control and kind of suggests that he might want to move out of the house. Uh, Mark Ruffalo really kind of, I think at that point, re-examines things and decides that he doesn't want to live in this small town. And the movie ends on a kind of bittersweet note of them parting, uh, Mark Ruffalo going on the bus, but telling her, you know, I'm going to get my shit together, I'm going to go and find work, and um, we will keep in touch here, but I'll come back for Christmas. So it's kind of like a bittersweet ending in this movie. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. I, I think the score's quite cool. It's got a very indie score, very quirky indie score, in that the same pieces of music are played repetitively through it, uh, which is, you tend to find that with more kind of indie movies. I think the acting's of a great quality. I think the cinematography's really good as well. I think the setting, the kind of small town setting, is captured really well. Um, I think uh, Laura Linney, Matthew Broderick, and Mark Ruffalo, and even to an extent, Rory Culkin, are all really good in the roles they're playing. They're memorable characters. And yeah, it was a, it was a delightful little watch. I, I really enjoyed it for a film that I hadn't heard anything about. Um, it packs a great deal of emotion. You feel yourself heavily invested in what is a, a very sparse story, but carries a lot of weight. So yeah, I enjoyed it. Yeah, I, I, I'm glad to hear you say that. Uh, I I do. When I was watching it again. Um, Speaking of it, packing an emotional punch, I, I really do find myself getting choked up at the ending of this movie every time I watch it. Mm -hmm. um, because I I think what I like most about this movie is it feels honest mm -hmm. that these characters are people that if you don't know them, you know someone who knows them, you know? Like, yeah. the Mark Ruffalo character in particular is is clearly a character who's sort of arrested in, in his adolescence. 
you know, whether that's the result of uh, his his parents' death, which seems to be the case. But, I mean, even little moments like when he first uh, comes home to stay with Laura Linney, um, when she's saying goodnight to him, he's playing the kid's game. Mm-hmm. And and can barely look away from it as she's saying, good night, I'm glad you're here, and all that stuff. And mm-hmm. he's just, he's a child. Like, his reaction when he thinks that um, Rudy Jr., Rory Culkin's character, uh, dropped a dime on him, is that sense of betrayal that you feel as a teenager. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and even his reaction, like, when the the senior you were talking about with uh, the, the local reverend, uh, mm-hmm. who, who comes over, which by the way is, is played by the writer director Kenneth Lonergan. Uh, oh, right. Yeah. I did not know that. So that scene, you know, about like, do you feel like your life is important and do you feel like you have a, a, a tie to the world around you and all that stuff? And his immediate reaction to that is, I'm not going to take your son fishing now because I uh, clearly you think I'm a bad influence. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it and it's such a like you hate him for having this reaction. But then he turns around and shows up to take him fishing and and kind of wins you over. He's like he's a really charming, lovable loser character who who seems to genuinely want to do the right thing but just doesn't quite know how to go about it and and does let his emotions get the better of him and yeah, I mean, it just it, it feels like a very human story. The interactions between Laura Linney and Mark Ruffalo as brother and sister seem very real to me. Um, I don't know if you have any siblings of your own. I do. Yeah, I've got um, I've got two brothers, an older brother and a younger brother. Yeah, so I think that it captures like a, a, a dynamic that I don't necessarily have with my own brother, but mm-hmm. I can see elements. Of, of my relationship with my brother in some of this movie, which I, I think if you have a sibling that there are echoes that you'll, you'll recognize in just the way you deal with someone, especially as an adult, mm-hmm. you know, like this human being that you grew up with that's family. Uh, and it, it is, you know, strangely like you're, you're almost forced to have this relationship with them, but at the same time, there is a genuine affection and all that. Yeah. And, um, yeah, it's, uh, and I, one other thing I really love about this movie, I'll shut up. Um, <laughs> at the end of the movie, when they're they're having the you know the bittersweet moment of him about to leave town again and go off on his own, and and you know hopefully for the best, maybe not. He has that line about you know I think this is all going to work out pretty well comparatively. Yeah, uh, yeah, and I think that's a very funny line, but it's also kind of sad. And when they're leaving. They say they they talk about the thing they used to say to each other as kids, but they never say what that is. And I think that's where the title of the movie comes from, that mm-hmm. that was the thing that they always said, because Laura Linney essentially raises Mark Ruffalo after the death of, of their parents, yes. um, which isn't commented on directly. But you can kind of see it all through the movie and as well as her need to take care of the men in her life. Yes. You know, she even says, you know, I. You know, that when she's kind of confessing adultery and what I think is a really funny scene uh, (laughs) where she's like, don't you think you guys ought to come down on the like the fear of the mortal soul and everything? I think you should. (laughs) Uh, But she sort of admits, like, I I feel bad for these men that I'm I'm having these affairs with. And that's why I do it. And, And and but she can't escape that even when she goes to do the right thing and break it off. She finds herself falling back into those traps. 
Yeah. And yeah, I, I, I find it to be a very real, emotionally honest movie. And it is, uh, you know, Mark Ruffalo, I think, is just something to behold in the film. Oh, yeah. For, for an early role as well, you're saying you think this is one of his first roles? It's, when I looked it up, it looks like he had been acting for a few years prior to this. Right. Um, this is maybe his most high-profile role up to this point. Yeah. And, you know, prior to this, um, he's actually been acting for a long, long time, but he was in The Dentist, believe it or not. Really? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, th this and uh, Ride with the Devil, which was uh, the year before, um, which is an Ang Lee movie, I think were kind of the, yeah. the two things that put him on the map. And, mm -hmm. yeah, I, I just think he's really something in this. And so is Lord Lenny, who I have a minor crush on. Um, <laughs> yeah. No, no. Um, yeah, I think, uh, like I said before, Ruffalo's a, an actor who pretty much if his name's announced with something, I'll, you know, I'll check it out straight away. So I was very surprised that once again, but then it goes to show certain movies, depending on their genres and that, certainly slipped through my fingers. Um, and uh, yeah, no, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Excellent. Excellent. All right. Well, let's... Uh... Let's get to another movie that is a little light on plot, but heavy on uh, on on punch, really. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the uh, Frank Langella starring film Robot and Frank. So, uh, or Robot, Robot and Frank, <laughs> as we will call it. So, uh, all right, we'll be right back. Part three, my favorite Dracula. Uh, welcome back. So, uh, before we done Bo's film, I chose a film as well, which I just, I don't know how wide this movie went in terms of people checking out. It came to my attention because the movie music site that I work for, um, one of the contributors there, gave this a five out of five and said that it was one of the best films she'd seen that year. And I was like, on that alone, without knowing who was in it or whatnot, I had to check this movie out. So it's 2012's Robert and Frank. Uh, <laughs> and um, yes, as you said, Bo, it, st it stars Frank Langella. Boy, it stars, does it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's, it also, I mean, just some minor characters here, the likes of Susan Sarandon. Holy fucking shit. Sure. Um, Liv Tyler's in it. James Marsden. Uh, the robot's voice is done by Peter Sarsgaard. The first time I heard this movie, I would have almost put money on it that um, it was, what's his face from American Beauty? Kevin Spacey. I would have almost put money that it was Kevin Spacey doing the voice of the robot. Um, but having checked out since, um, it's not. It's Peter Sarsgaard. So the, the synopsis, and this is short as well, short but sweet, uh, is set in the near future, an ex-jewel thief receives a gift from his son, a robot butler programmed to look after him. But soon the two companions try their luck as a heist team. So it was directed by uh, Jake Shearer. I think that's how you pronounce that, or Shearer, uh, or Scherer. Um, one of the three, uh, I don't know. Uh, it's up to you. Uh, so, Bo, you checked this movie out. Let us know what you thought of it. Okay. I love Frank Langella. Um, mm. I, I think he's probably my favorite Dracula. Uh, yeah, right? <laughs> the, the movie itself. <laughs> that's a controversial statement. Yeah, the, the, the movie the it's, the movie itself uh, is not the best version of Dracula, but I think he's a great Dracula in it. Oh yes, he is indeed. Yeah. Um, and I mean, he's just got so many roles where he's 
just tremendous. Like I, I love him in the movie Dave and mm-hmm. anyway. Uh, so he's tremendous. You know that from jump, you're yeah. going to get a, a good performance out of him. What I didn't really expect is how good he is at portraying vulnerability, which I think most of the roles he's in are very strong characters because he has this kind of gravity to his voice and all that. And seeing him in the role of this aging jewel thief who is, I don't think they ever directly say he has Alzheimer's, but clearly that's, I think that's what it is. Yeah. yeah, I mean, he 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 can't remember uh, passages of time and doesn't recognize, you know, people in his family at times and things like that. And uh, so when James Marsden, who plays his son, uh, decides that rather than put him in a home, which he is very much against, uh, he's going to get this. You know, kind of shitty looking robot butler, but <laughs> yeah. it's, it, but shitty looking in the sense that it's something that's believable. I mean, this looks like a robot. In fact, the movie ends with a montage of current robotic devices that don't yes. look all that different from this. That's correct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the, the butler is essentially a medical robot meant to give him a routine and keep him active and mentally uh, challenged. And so, of course, uh, Frank, uh, as played by Frank Langella, decides that he is going to use the robot to commit crimes because there is nothing explicit in the robot's programming to prevent uh, him from breaking the law. It's just that he has to keep Frank healthy. And if planning heists is the thing that keeps him mentally alert, that's what they do. Mm-hmm. So Frank Lagella has this relationship with this robot in a way that he doesn't have with most people short of maybe the librarian in town that he has a bit of a crush on and uh, as played by Susan Sarandon. And the movie is alternately really touching, very funny at times. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, I, I hate to use the word because it's a bit cliched, but there's something really heartwarming about the film. Mm-hmm. Um, I think all the performances in it are really good. There, there's a great sequence where Liv Tyler comes to stay with him uh, as his daughter and is very anti-robot and decides that she's going to turn the thing off. And Oh, yeah. And he stages this kind of quiet rebellion of fucking <laughs> up his house. In such a way that she's ultimately forced to turn the robot back on. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah, I mean, there's, uh, uh, Jeremy Sisto, uh, plays a, uh, a local, uh, police officer mm-hmm. who at first doesn't think Frank has anything to do with local heists that have been happening, one in particular. Mm-hmm. And throughout the course of the film starts to realize like, oh yeah, this old man <laughs> is probably responsible for this. <laughs> and it's really, really a wonderful film. You know, again, Frank Langella is sometimes very sad in the film or sad to watch because you, you see this guy who um, has all these stories to tell and all this rich history in his life. And it's, it's sort of slipping away from him. Yeah. And the robot becomes this buddy, even though the robot can continually says, like, 
look, I'm, you know, this is an artificial intelligence. I, mm-hmm. if you erase my memory, which becomes a, a key point of the plot later that his memory needs to be erased so that, uh, Frank's crimes aren't revealed. But Frank is reluctant to do that because he feels that there is a spark of life in this robot, despite the robot's denial of that. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I, I am kind of on the fence of whether or not that's true. Um, yeah. Uh, but I, I don't think that the answer is necessary uh, mm-hmm. because it's really like all about Frank's perception of this and, and the friendship that he forges with, you know, what is essentially an inanimate, inanimate object. Um, it, yeah, it's really tremendous. It's tremendously acted. It, it's very fun. It ends in a place that's really satisfying, uh, mm-hmm. both from a character point of view and uh and also to to sort of wrap up the plot nicely mm-hmm. um yeah it's you know there's just not a lot of fault to be found with this movie um his relationship with Susan Sarandon there there is a turn that relationship takes mm-hmm. that is very bittersweet yes yeah very in a way it's almost sad but there's also something kind of romantic about it as well mhm yeah, man, I really enjoyed this movie. Like the, the, the and we'll get into this in, in the last segment, but you know, comparing these two movies is really tough because I don't see a lot of flaws with either one. I can't point to mm-hmm. something and say, this is what makes this a better movie than the other. Yeah. Um, and Robot and Frank, I think was, it was a movie that had been on my list for a while to watch. And this was a great excuse to finally watch it. Now that mm-hmm. I have, it's one that I, I'll go back to certainly because it is such a satisfying film experience. You know, um, you, you get great performance, you get a lot of emotion out of it. And, and Peter Sarsgaard as the robot is kind of quietly hilarious in the movie. I I don't know what else to say about without getting into spoilers, (laughs) because there are things that happen that I don't want to ruin for people who would watch this. And you most certainly should watch this. Yeah, definitely. We'll not. This is one of the the films that will not go. We'll not focus too much on the end. Yeah, I, I mean, what you're talking about how, uh, as an actor, uh, frankly, Langella's you know really is a really strong character. To me, this this role is almost kind of set up uh, in a previous film we did, which was Frost Nixon. Yeah. Which I love. Oh, yeah, I love yeah. that movie. Sure. But there's certain sections in that where Nixon starts to kind of lose it. You know, t- towards the end, he kind of forgets what he said to who and, you know, or, or he has a few drinks and then becomes very frank with the, the Michael Sheen character down the, fro- the the phone and things like that. That there's a, there's a degree of vulnerability of that character that it wasn't too much of a stretch to, for me to imagine him in this role, but he's just so fucking good in it. He's so, honestly, it's like a masterclass in acting. It is very, very, very funny. Like, um, the very, <laughs> the very first time, Yes, the compass. The first, the first day, full day after the robot, and the robot wakes him up at seven in the morning and tells him he has to get him into a routine, and um, you know he turns over in his bed, you know, away from the robot who's still trying to get him up, and then you see the robot puts him out. Yeah. Instead of his usual sugar-filled cereal, he puts him out a grapefruit, and um, Frank doesn't want the grapefruit, and the robot's like, "Well, no, you healthy, healthy body, healthy mind, so to speak, and the other stuff's bad for you." And um, he goes through and gets some biscuits, and he's sitting eating, and the robot starts speaking to him, and Frank just says, "Oh, fuck this shit!" Yes. 
bands on the table and walks out the room. And that sort of stuff, the movie's full of these really funny things because what you basically have is, and this is a generational thing as well, when you get to a certain age, you become less accepting of technology. That's just a fact. Um, I don't know how much that will impact on our generation because we've grown up with some of the biggest changes in technology, but uh, certainly... If you jump one generation from us, yeah, like I, I remember having to explain to my, my mother not that long ago how to use an iPad. And I mean, iPads are pretty much self-explanatory. You touch the thing on the screen and it does it. But even that, it was like it was like teaching her a foreign language. So, I mean, there's, there's a lot of that in here. And through time, they, they bond over something as bizarre as, you know, theft, yeah. uh, where, you know, the robot inadvertently creates a crime and Frank sees this as a potential way to, to really capture things and the thing about the irony of it is when they're planning the heists Frank is probably at his most coherent um, he, he's very upbeat he seems to remember details very 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 quickly and all the rest when he's not doing that his memory starts to lapse and he thinks his son's still at Princeton which was 15 years before he can't remember anything about his wife so yeah, I think he really sells this role. I think that's probably, I think that's maybe where this movie completely wins me over. I think is the fact that it relies heavily on the interaction between a voice and Frank, and that that's dangerous. That could that could turn out really bad, you know. And if if it wasn't Frank Langella playing the the, the guy and Peter Sarsgaard doing the voice, um, it just seems to work so well. I think it's beautifully shot. I think it's a really simple indie movie. It's, a, it's an indie drama stroke comedy. Um, and the ending gets to me because it's something I think we all inherently fear, fear as time goes on that we'll eventually be abandoned by our family and be left alone. Um, it's like one of life's cruel jokes. And I think this movie handles that subject really well whilst making you emotional about it but never try to thrust it down your throat that in the future we'll all be left alone because um, that's not that movie. Uh, I love this movie. I absolutely love it. So yeah. I, I'm glad I'm glad that you got an opportunity to check it out because I don't often watch these sort of movies, um, but when I do, uh, yeah, if they're all the quality of Robot and Frank, I'll be a very happy man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it, I, I'm kind of the same way. I don't, I don't pick up uh, dramas all the time. But would I run across one that is, you know, the quality of either of these films, really? Mm-hmm. It, it's, you know, it reminds me that, oh, yeah, there's all these other genres out there that do really good work, too. Uh, but you're right. I mean, this is a movie that could have gone off the rails at any point. I think it it is to um, Frank Langella's credit. I, I keep pronouncing it with the soft G. Is that incorrect? I, I've always I, I, that I think I, I think it's Langella. That's how I pronounce it. Okay. But... I don't know. <laughs> so, yeah, even in the moments where he is uh, a bit confused, he still projects this sense of confidence. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when when his son reminds him, like, "Oh, I'm not at Princeton anymore. That was 15 years ago." Oh, I know, I know. Yeah. You know, and <laughs> and there's something kind of there. It, it's sort of sad, but at the same time, you you really come to appreciate the dignity of this character. And yeah, I mean, at one, at one point, Bo, I, I never touched on this, and I really like it, it's when he's sitting and he's staring away from the robot, and at first he explains that he could never teach his son, 
he could teach him how to work tools and things like that, but could never really teach him the things he was good at, which was cracking locks. He could never really bond with him over that. And during that conversation, he goes from telling the robot the story of how he can't do that to his son to basically thinking the robot is his son. Yeah. And that conversation becomes incredibly deep. And the robot doesn't reply to him because the, he's not actually asking the robot to do anything. He's just kind of speaking. He's thinking out loud almost. And it's an incredibly touching scene. Um which, you know, because he has spent so much time away in jail when his kids were growing up. And um, it, it's like it's like you say, there's a man here with, uh, you know, st- years and years worth of fascinating stories which he couldn't share with anyone because most of those stories involved illegal actions. So, um, yeah, yeah, really, really good. Yeah. All right. I, I think the time has come. Let's duke this out. Oh God, this will be this will be brutal. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, this is this isn't going to be pretty. Um, okay, well we'll be right back to uh, what may be the last segment we ever do. <laughs> this could this could get violent. Um, all right, well we'll we'll be right back to conclude this episode of Duncan and Bo Come Correct. Part four. Do we cop out? No one ever said, Bo, that this show was going to be easy. Right. No one ever said that. And, uh, yeah, this is, going to, this is going to be a lot of fun here. All right, all right. So l- let's just roll into it. Right. We have on the table what I think are two shining examples of independent comedy dramas. <laughs> and, ah, man. It's hard because on the one hand, Robot and Frank was a movie I hadn't seen, and it was a delight, and I loved everything about it. On the other hand, we have You Can Count on Me, which is a film I had seen before and liked it so much I recommended it to you and felt confident in that recommendation. I was going into this with a little swagger. You, you did you did have a, a slight bounce in your step, which is, uh, well, I'll be honest with you, it intimidated me. I was, I was slightly intimidated, Bo. All right. Well, let's 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 just say it outright. What what do you think is the the better pick this week? Um, I'm going to go with my one. I'm going to go with Robert and Frank, and I think it's slightly unfair that I've chose this because this is my fourth time seeing this movie. I've only seen your movie once, and I saw it this morning. And whilst I thought it was, I thought it was a really good film, and it's probably one that I'll be watching again very very soon because I I know for a fact my wife will love this movie because um, this you know this has the sort of things. Which, you know, when we are not watching genre-specific movies, these are the sort of things we'll check out. Um, and I think it's handled really well. I think everything about it is is so subtle, but so weighty. And I think it's a great movie. To me, I think where Robert and Frank stands out is that Robert and Frank kind of works with less, so to speak, in terms of the characters. We're not well, There's not too many stories going on. There's really only one central story. And I think now one central story is very powerful throughout um, and not that I often admit these sort of things, but, you know, I can feel myself well enough when that movie finishes. Every single time. Every single time. I think it probably edges it out slightly, but I have to be true to myself, and uh, it does seem like a slight cop-out that I'm picking my own movie, but um, that's the one I'm going for. Bo! All right, I... You can you can do it. Just, yeah, just say it. I, all right. Just say it. <laughs> I would I would argue you can count on me mm-hmm. only because there is even less plot than Robot and Frank. Yep. And yet I think it's equally compelling, and it like both of these deal with 
very emotional relationships Mm -hmm. in completely successful ways. And I have, like, the thing that really sticks out for me with You Can Count On Me, I think the relationship between uh, Mark Ruffalo, uh, his character Terry, and and the kid, Rudy, Mm -hmm. is one of my favorite relationships on film, I think. I, I, I just think there's something really fascinating about this potential father figure just being another child. Mm-hmm. And yet I totally see robot and Frank. Like, <laughs> like I, I really feel this may be, I, cause I just don't want to say one of these movies is better than the other. Yeah. It's, it's difficult. It's difficult. Um, do we, do we cop out here and, um, use what we did on episode number two, I believe. Yes. Um, do we award each of us a point then? I, I you know, I'm, I'm the only reason I'm reluctant to do that is I don't, I don't want to make that a standard or a cop out, but no, because it's something that might happen more often, but in, in fairness, this is episode six and this is the, only the second time this has happened. So I don't want to, I don't want to be in a position where I, I have to, because it's like you say, and, and by picking one film, you are saying that, you know, th- this film is better than the other one. And the other standards that we've had, the ones that have won have tend to, tended to be, you know, noticeably better than the other movie on, on some level. It is so close between these two movies. And um, all our audience are doing right now is listening to us agonise. Well, they're probably sitting there, oh... Poor you, you had to watch two absolute masterclasses of cinema. Right. Two two films in which the acting is phenomenal. Uh The the story is compelling, even though it is simple. Um, Yeah, I I think maybe we call this a draw. Yeah. I can't see, I cannot see this happening often. Where, you know, both movies are at such a high standard that neither one of us have checked out before on either side yeah it's like you said once before we do it's not as if we're bringing like the godfather trilogy or something like that in here as you know weighty sequences of cinema or you know these sort of the citizen kane's not getting recommended to either one of us here you know what i mean um these films are not likely to happen often just because you tend to think if they're that if they're that good one of us you know the chances are both of us will have checked it out before um Especially in drama. It's not something I don't watch many dramas. And your suggestion, I can see why you were confident because I, I watched it all the way through and not at one point watching that movie at all did I ever think to myself, well, this scene seems a bit needless, you know, or we're dragging our feet here. I actually wanted to find out, you know, every little detail, even, even down to the fucking Matthew Broderick bringing his pregnant wife. Oh, it's such to, a good scene, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and introducing them to everyone. And I'm at, at first, when you come in, I was like, oh, right, are we going to get that character? You don't really, that character never really gets touched upon again, other than one flash sequence when she lifts the phone. But that sequence totally needs to be in that movie. It totally needs to be in that movie. Um, it sets up everything after it, and it's so clever. Uh, it's a really, really, really well-made film. And, uh yeah. <laughs> and, and the, the the other scene from the bank that I really enjoy, uh, as if I'm trying to make my case further, but uh, when when Matthew Broderick calls uh, Laura Linney into the office to talk about some people using different oh. colors on their screens, oh, and he says, yeah, purple and polka dot and whatnot, and yeah. she's like, well, I assure you, my my computer screen is very conservative. <laughs> conservative. <laughs> 
So, all right, I can feel good about the draw. Yeah. If you can honestly say that you don't feel Robot and Frank is clearly superior to You Can Count on Me. No, I think I think they're about the same. To be honest with you, I think what separates them, I think what separates them is the fact that I've seen one film more than the other. Yeah. Um, uh, I don't know if in in time going forward, more viewings on uh, You Can Count Me will mean that I'll you know enjoy that movie anymore. Because to be honest with you, I the, one watch of that movie and I'm already saying you know it's a classic. It's something that I I, I heavily recommend and I really enjoyed. To me, Robot and Frank is the same. Yeah, 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 yeah. And that's I I just can't. It's it's like you're saying we're we're trying to pick we're trying to almost pick holes in movies which don't have holes in order to justify our pick you know or regardless if it was your film or my film try to pick that movie above it i don't necessarily think that's possible and i'm kind of slumping back on my movie just because i've seen it four times and i think every single time it holds up every single viewing holds up i feel exactly the same way about it every viewing and that's to me my justification um it'll be interesting if our listeners have checked out either movie um, if they have a preference, and maybe they could come back to us and let us know why they would pick one over the other, because right. maybe they could see something that we can't. I don't know. Okay, I, I I I feel I feel good in saying this is a draw. If one of the listeners has seen either, well, both of these movies, I, I feel like mm-hmm. you need to see both. And if you have a preference, then just shoot us an email at dbcc dbcc podcast. I, I, I get confused how many C's I'm doing. Podcast at gmail.com. Email us. Tell us why you think one of these films is better. And if there is a compelling argument, that can be our tiebreaker. Cool. I so, think that's fair. Yes. And and I feel like my, my justification for You Can Count On Me is almost the same as yours for Robot and Frank, which is after seeing this movie on multiple occasions, it holds up every time, and I feel like I get even a little more out of it. I feel like watching Robot and Frank a second and third and fourth time is going to yield the same thing. Yeah, yeah. So, man. <laughs> who knew? Who knew that drama comedies could pack such a punch <laughs> i know i know but i the point of the show and, and and i think the point of watching movies is to see something that's going to affect you on one in, in one degree or another yeah. and and make your viewing worthwhile and yeah. i really feel like both of these movies are just unreserved recommendations from both of us where we can say like you can't go wrong with either of these movies they're both really no. really good no, you you really you really can. It's as like we say, this is pretty much as good as cinema gets. Especially when you take into account they're both indie mm-hmm. indie movies. You know, this is pretty. If you like indie cinema and you've not seen either one of these movies, you need to rectify that now. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, the the pain is over. Let's get to the pleasure. <laughs> uh, what uh, what movies and or uh, flickering images are you looking forward to seeing in the uh, the coming two weeks? Um, I, I'm currently on my other show counting down the the top best ten and worst horror remakes selected by myself. So unfortunately, that means there's a lot of sweet with the seller. Um, and yeah, the at the moment, um, 
I'm just looking forward to eventually getting down that list and coming to what I consider as some of the best, not even genre-specific movies ever, but when you're hitting the likes of Invasion of the Body Snatchers, excuse me, Invasion of the Body Snatchers from the 70s, you know, The Fly and The Thing, um, that to me is about as good as things get. So I'm really looking forward to, to, to hitting that stride. I've got a couple of weeks left before I get there, but... I'm really looking forward to visiting them because some of those movies, The Fly, I've not seen in over five years. The Thing, I've not seen in a couple of years. Invasion of the Body Snatchers, I have the Arrow Steelbook Blu-ray cut of that movie. I've not watched that movie since I was in my teens. So you're going back possibly 15 years since I saw that movie and it is one of my favourites. So oh, yeah, wow. that's yeah. that's what I'm really looking forward to seeing. So what about yourself? I am uh, going to watch the black and white version of The Mist. Mm, so good. Yeah, I just got the uh, that edition on Blu-ray in this past week and have yet to watch it. So I'm looking forward to that very much. Have you never seen it in black and white before? I have not. I have not. You'll never, you'll never see it in color again after it. Really? Never. You will never go back to the color version after it. I mean, that's that's essential. That's. Frank Darabont wanted that movie in black and white. That, that was what he was aiming for, and the studio told him he couldn't have it in black and white. So that's why that feature exists. What a bunch of jokes. Um, yeah, I've talked about this before on another show. Yeah, they're like that. Black and white movies don't sell. And then a couple of years after that, The Artist, which is a black and white silent movie, cleans up at the Oscars. Well played, Hollywood. <laughs> right, right, always full of good ideas, the studio. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, but once you, it will be, I'd be interested to hear your take on it. But my opinion is when you have seen that movie in black and white, you will never watch it in colour again. I, yeah, I'm really looking forward to it because I've never heard anyone be quite so uh, uh enthusiastic about the black and white version but i've mm. never heard anyone watch it in black and white and and say that it was lacking anything and most people have said like oh you you need to watch it in that version at least once i mean essential when the mist comes down anyway the colors are very muted anyway so it's basically it's just removing there's very little color in that movie at a certain point um, you know, the colours become almost almost non-existent. So this is just removing them. And I think it, it works, it feels that whole that whole movie feels like an extended version of a Twilight Zone episode. And I think that's where that works. I think it's got one of the finest fuck you endings in a movie ever. And um, just, just a, a quick mention here. In October, uh, I'm having a very special thing on my show, which is Baz versus Halloween which is five weeks dedicated to to me giving Baz movies which have been mentioned before but never selected on his, his ones. And one of those movies in that list is The Mist, um, which he's never seen before. And I don't know if we'll watch the colour or the black and white one. Another one on that list is one that I know that you quite like and I love. It's 1408. Mm. It's another Stephen King yeah. adaptation. I fucking love that movie. So um, that's another one he's never seen that he'll get a a chance to see all those reviews will be coming up in October. Yeah. My, my only problem with 1408 is I don't care for the sequence in the, uh, the vents. Yes. Yeah. But everything else about it, I really like the, the psychological stuff I think plays out really great in that film. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, then I'm finally going to get around to watching the 3d version of Jurassic park. Oh, right. Which, uh, you know, uh, from what I understand, great pains were taken to make that uh, a really cool 3D experience. 
And uh, I have had it on the shelf for a long time and haven't watched it. And I, I was, <laughs> when I was uh, doing my shopping this morning, I was thinking like, oh yeah, once once we get done with all the recording today, what shall I watch? And I was like, I'm gonna watch fucking Jurassic Park. <laughs> you know, I mean, that's a movie that certainly has its flaws, but I really think that is kind of Spielberg at his popcorn best. Oh yeah, definitely. And uh, I'm I'm curious to see how all the uh, the dinosaur effects and what, like I can see the T-Rex chase in 3D being pretty, pretty cool. Oh yeah. Must go faster, must go faster. <laughs> right, right, right. Uh, so yeah, that's, that's what I'm going to check out, uh, immediately. And then beyond that, I really do want to, uh, finally watch Witch Ambitching, which I was going to watch, uh, this past weekend and instead went with where, which I'd heard great uh-huh. things about. And I kind of wish I had watched Witch Ambitching now. <laughs> um, not that where was terrible, just I, I I feel like it wasn't what I had been led to believe. Mm-hmm. So, Gil. Um, <laughs> He'd be sitting in his house going, yes, Satan? <laughs> right, right. His ears perk up, yeah. Uh, I, I was just sitting here drinking. Uh, heard my name called. Um, well, as far as podcasting, you said, uh, you're, you're doing the, uh, the top tens for, yep. uh, the podcast under the stairs, which I'll be appearing on as well. And looking you forward. will be, you'll be on two shows on that, um, which I'm very much looking forward to because that movie I was talking about that invasion of the body snatchers one, you're going to be on that one. And I cannot wait to discuss that movie with you. Yeah. Cause I, I love it so much. I, so yeah. Yeah. I kind of do too. Um, <laughs> it's just going to be like a replay of when we talked about Stoker, isn't it? Really, it's just going to be me going. This movie's amazing. Yeah, let, let's talk about how amazing it is right. for the next <laughs> the next hour. Right. All right. The acting's great. It looks beautiful. The writing's incredible. Donald Sutherland makes a big screamy face. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm gonna. It's I, gonna it's, it's going to be a lot of fun. I, I need to get that on on blue, as a matter of fact. So that that I need to do that in in short order. Uh, aside from the the podcast under the stairs, what else do you have coming up? Um, well, I just appeared on Grave Chef Radio, which should be coming up really soon. And um, on that show, we discussed. In fact, we did it last night, Bo. Uh, we discussed the pod. Uh, what say my podcast name? Every time I think about it, the people under the stairs. Um, a controversial the, disc- discussion, to be sure. Yeah, I think listening back, it might not be as controversial as I think I thought it was during it. And The Exorcist, which is the the first time I'd visited that movie in a while, and oh my god, you just this. Yeah, none of us liked it. Strangely, <sighs> yeah. <laughs> you know, this week has just been. And this week, I saw uh, Robot and Frank again. I saw You Can Count on Me. Um, I saw Cold in July, and I saw The Exorcist. I don't know if it gets much better than that. Wow, that but... is a good week. Yeah, it really is. It's like weeks like these that I'm quite happy. You've got a couple with that that I also watched, House on Haunted Hill remake, which is awful. Uh, but I made up for it. So yeah, um, Midnight Horror Show, we are doing sneaky genre films, which is coming up on Wednesday live on All Radio X at 7 Eastern. Um, I've suggested the topic. Sneaky genre basically is movies that are sold as one thing which um, we think may or may not be the case. So, i.e. a lot of movies in the 90s, like uh, Seven 
or Silence of the Lambs were sold as psychological thrillers and dramas when they're clearly horror movies. Um, and, but we look at that from the reverse side. So movies that are kind of put over as horror movies that, you know, might not necessarily be actually a horror movie. So that's coming up very soon. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to that. And then obviously back on Duncan and Bo Come Correct in a fortnight to do uh, another another discussion. Hopefully uh, there's, a, there's a bit of... Uh, disparity between the two films because i don't know if i can go through another one of these both <laughs> well, but what what a great problem to have oh yeah that's uh, <laughs> so i you know it, it is painful to try to to decide between two great movies uh i hope our listeners don't feel like it's too much of a cop-out uh to say yes they're they're both worth your time and and neither one uh has a glaring flaw to make it uh somehow lesser than the other um, but yeah, it is, it is nice when I can, you know, rub your face in a bad recommendation. Um, <laughs> there haven't been bad ones. There have been less good ones, but there hasn't been a bad movie we, yet. We, we have joked, and I think it might be worthwhile coming up for a, an episode. I know we talked about maybe a side episode where we actually take a heavy hitter from this year and just sit down and discuss it, which I'm still keen to do. Um, but we had joked at the start that maybe something we might do is we might try and find a truly dreadful film and recommend it to the other person and see if we can work out what one's the worst recommendation. And I think that could be a lot of fun. I, I think because <laughs> my plan is to do this in, in sort of a British uh, season sort of thing. Oh, yes. So probably about episode 13, we're going to take a break for yes. about a month. And I think episode 13 may be our... You bring your worst, I'll bring my worst. Because <laughs> yeah. I know what mine is. And and at that point we will we will decide who who has found truly the the biggest piece of cinematic garbage. <laughs> but oh, yes, but, but is yet somehow worth recommending. As, yeah. <laughs> you know. Like it can't just be some, you know, crappy zombie movie that was made in someone's backyard. Yeah, uh, but we, we'll get to that. I, I think that may be our our season finale. Is uh, Duncan and Bo come incorrect? <laughs> yeah, I'm done with that. Yeah, that's gonna be awesome. and uh, and yeah, we should get together and talk cavalry. I think I think that's a movie we should talk about pretty soon. Uh, yeah, I think, I think yeah, we'll, we'll set that aside and we'll do a we'll do a show just on that. We'll do a discussion just on that. Yeah, and in the in the meantime, uh, you can hear more of me on Devour the Podcast. Um, less alcohol infused in the coming episodes. <laughs> yeah, your last podcast was sponsored by some brewery. <laughs> Anheuser Busch presents <laughs> Devour the Podcast, and you can hear David get more belligerent and Jamie get weepy. Yeah. <laughs> and and me somewhere in the middle. Um and uh then Graveshift Radio, uh which as you said that will will be uh a uh, an exorcist episode which uh should be available by the time you hear this. And uh and then next week or not next week, next fortnight. Yes. <laughs> can you can you measure it that way? Next fortnight? Is that eh. in, I, I in a fortnight? Yeah, in a fortnight. In, in a, the next, it would be in the next fortnight. In the next fortnight, you will yes. uh, you will hear the new episode of Duncan and Bo Come Correct, and uh, we'll see you in two weeks. So uh, say goodbye to everybody, Duncan. Bye, everyone. Thanks for listening. Thanks, and uh, feel free to get in touch with us at dbccpodcast at gmail dot com if you have a recommendation for either Duncan or myself or both, and uh, we'll see you 
in the next fortnight. I think. Well said, sir.